And what I want to talk to you about today is really just the simplicity, some of the basics of faith. And the reason why this becomes <clears throat> so important is because it's such a prominent topic in Scripture. It's, it's something that is talked about. It's one of those uh, subjects that is mentioned so often that you can, you can almost skip over it and read it because it becomes one of those words that your mind just goes numb to. And then your culture uses it in a certain way, you know, like, oh, well, he's a person of faith. And, and they may be using that word in a totally different way than the Bible uses it. So I want us to get into uh, a few of these issues this morning. And we'll just, like I said, we'll see how far we get. One of the ideas that I want to open with this morning is, <clears throat> as, if you've been in church for any amount of time, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably picked up ideas or thoughts that are actually not biblical. There, and so that maybe they're ideas that you heard preached because you, you came from a certain denomination or your parents said it and you don't even really know where you got it and maybe you just never questioned it because you heard it your whole life and, and all the people at your church said it all the time, you know, and, and they, they, they just said that thing and, and so you kind of accepted it. It sort of made sense to you and you never really questioned whether or not it was biblical. But how many of you know that those those simple thoughts like that can end up directing your life and they can end up affecting the choices that you make all the while you thought it was a totally biblical concept and then you find out later actually it's not and I want to talk to you just about a couple of those things that I hear often one of those that I hear all the time is this well everything happens for a reason Okay, I hear this one all the time. Some of you have probably said it to me. And, and if you did, you know, I'm not sitting there going, oh, that, that's wrong. That's the dumbest thing ever. I just smile and move on because I hear it a lot. Everything happens for a reason. Well, let me just say, I have no doubt that everything happens for a reason. It just might not be the reasons you're thinking. Because what, what people mean when they say that is God is somehow behind it. Well, everything happens for a reason. You know, I got in that car accident today. Everything happens for a reason. I lost my job today. Well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, it, it could have been because you were texting and driving. That might be the reason. Might not be because God had anything to do. You could have got fired because you show up late every single day. And it might not have God. God had nothing to do with it. So does everything happen for a reason? Sure does. And most of those reasons probably has to do with choices you're making. Not anything to do with God. But you know why that's so much more fun to blame God? It's because then we don't have to look at ourselves. It's so much more mysterious and easy to go, well, I don't know why that happened, but I'm sure God must have a plan. That's another variation of that, by the way. Well, I don't know why that happened, but I, but I know God has a plan. Look, um, so the people that I've seen use that most often are some, not always, Sometimes people that make the worst and most unbiblical choices in their life. One of the things that bugs me and just drives me crazy as a pastor is to see people that are making choices that are opposite of the Bible, but then they constantly want to blame God for the results that they're getting in their life. Or they eventually come to a breaking point where bad thing after bad thing after bad thing keeps happening in their life. And then when, usually by the time they come to me, they're asking questions like this. Well, why would God allow this to happen in my life? Look at all of these things. Why would God allow this to happen in my life? 
But see, we need a mindset shift because this is one of those unbiblical mindsets that can creep its way in. It's not, the question is not really why would God allow this to happen in your life. The, the question is why would you have taken the choices and taken the opportunity that God has given you and why would you have made those choices opposite of what the Bible told you to do? And so many times that actually ends up being the reason why something is happening. And so I'm just going to say that this covers a a wide array of thinking. I'm using the phrase, everything happens for a reason. But but really, it, it, it encompasses this idea that somehow God is in control and over every single thing that happens in our life. Let me just, let me just really plainly tell you this morning. If God were in control of everything that happens in our daily lives, can I just tell you that the world would look nothing like it does today? Okay. This ought to be obvious to us. When God is in control, it looks like heaven. Go to heaven. There's no sickness, there's no pain, there's no strife, there's no division, there's no divorce, there's no sickness. There's none of these things that we see on this planet. If you want to know what God's perfect plan and will looks like when he is in, in control, you've got to go back to the Garden of Eden, for example. What happened in the Garden of Eden was a result of God actually giving up control to Adam and Eve. He delegated control, he delegated his authority to Adam and Eve. Now, we could preach a whole nother sermon about the sovereignty of God and how God is ultimately in control of what's going to happen on this planet. We could, we could spend time talking about all the ways that God is in control. I'm not arguing that. But all I'm telling you is if it's that simple that God is in control, uh, there would be no abuse. There would be no exploitation. There would be no strife, no, no sin. No, God is not ultimately in control in that, excuse me, God is ultimately in control, but he's not in control of every little detail that happens in your life. And this is what we have to understand about how the planet has been set up, is that God put a massive amount of power under your control and under your authority. This is why he told them in the book of Exodus, he said, I'm laying it all out before you. The choice is yours. Choose this day whom you will serve Blessing or cursing, choose life or choose death. The choice is up to you. So the Bible tells a very different story than somehow some of what we thought. I mean, I've heard it to the point where you go to a funeral and some tragedy, some, somebody killed in some way, some child taken, and they go, well, you know, God just had a plan. Listen, I'm not ready to just say that some child that died early, that that was God's plan. Because you know what the Bible tells me? It's the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come to bring life, he said, that, I, that you might have it more abundantly. He said every good and perfect gift comes from above. But y'all do know that we have an adversary on this planet, whom the Bible calls the current God of this world. So, no, it's, it's, it's not just everything that happens is on, is on God. The reason why this is so important is because what I, where I have seen this be the biggest issue in Christians' lives is it causes them not to take responsibility for anything that they're doing. It causes them that when they should be repenting, when they should be looking at their choices, 
when they should be looking at the sowing and reaping that they're doing in their life and examining that, they somehow buy this lie of, well, I guess God, this is just what God wanted. I guess it's just how God, God wanted it. Well, it might not be that that's how God wanted it. It might, it might be that you're just not doing any of the things that he said to do. Or that you're making choices that are causing and bringing about these things in our life. Now, we had to settle that up front because we're going to talk about faith this morning. And the Bible puts an extraordinary amount of emphasis on our faith as being one of the determining factors about what we actually receive from God. But see, if you believe this other thing that, well, God just does whatever he wants, then you don't really put that much emphasis on faith. Because you think, well, God's just going to have his way anyway. God's going to do what he wants to do anyway, so what does my faith really matter? Well, let's just read what Jesus said in just a couple Gospels. I picked out a few scriptures from Mark and some from Matthew. We could read many, many, many more this morning, but I'm going to read these quickly. We're not even going to put them on the screen. I'm just going to read them kind of quick. But as we read these scriptures, I want you to notice a few things. Number one, I want you to notice the extraordinary amount of emphasis that Jesus puts on faith as a reason why things happen or don't happen. I want you to notice that. Number two, I want you to pay attention to what is not said. Okay, he never, you'll never see in any of these scriptures where he said, this happened or you were healed because of my power. He'll never say you were healed because it was my will. He doesn't say that. He, will, he, will, he never makes those statements. So pay attention to what is not said. Also, pay attention uh, because in each statement, Jesus seems to insinuate that we are responsible for how much faith we have. And the reason why uh, you're going to see that is because he ends up actually rebuking people when their faith is not where he thinks it should be. So let's start Matthew 6, 30. We're going to read these quickly. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So the first thing he, what's implied here is, he says, you've got to trust and believe that God is going to take care of you, take care of your basic needs. And if you don't believe that, he says, you have little faith. And he says, if, if you're struggling to believe that, you have little faith faith. We're going to see other times where he says people had great faith. So sometimes people can have little faith, sometimes people can have great faith. Matthew 8:10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said, "Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith." This he was talking to the centurion who was uh, asking for his daughter to be healed. And and the way the guy responded, Jesus said, "Wow, I've been all over Israel and I haven't found faith like this. So it's something that can be different between one person and the next. It's something that Jesus apparently can observe and go, wow, that guy has great faith. Or he can say, man, that guy has little faith. Matthew 8, 26. He said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. So, he, so fear is a, is a determining factor of whether or not you have faith or little faith or Great faith. Did you know you cannot have fear and faith in the same instance? It's like oil and water. One pushes the other out. If you say, 
you know, and, and it's funny because people will say they're in faith because they know it's the right thing to say. Oh, I'm, I'm believing God. I'm trusting God. Out of one side, and then the anxiety, fear, stress, worry, knots in their stomach. You're not in faith. You're in fear. And, and that faith has not yet grown to the point that it has pushed out all of that, all of that fear. Please understand, I'm not criticizing you because this is something we all deal with. This is something every Christian deals with. And I'm going to talk to you about the end of the sermon about how to improve in this and how to get better. But first, we've got to acknowledge that this is an issue. So he said, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Matthew 9, 2. Behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, so it was something he could see. Matthew 9, 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Now, this is a, this is, you're going to see this statement a lot throughout all the Gospels. If you read them, you're going to see this statement a lot where Jesus turns to people and he says, your faith has made you whole. Think about all the things he could have said there. Your holiness has made you whole. He could have said, my power has made you whole. He could have said, the will of God has made you whole today. He didn't say any of those. You'll never see those in the gospel. All he ever said is, your faith has made you whole. When you read the gospels, what you see is you see a lot of people receiving things from God, and you see a lot of people not receiving things from God. And from the people that did, many times we see in Scripture where he turned and said the reason why they were made whole was because of their faith. So it's an extremely important element. So he said, take heart, daughter. This is Matthew 9, 22. Your, your faith has made you well. Matthew 9, 29. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. In other words, whatever you can believe for, be it done to you. Matthew 14, 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. That was Peter, because he was walking on the water. When Peter began to sink, he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Matthew 15, 28, Jesus answered the woman, and he said, Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Matthew 16, 8, be, uh, but Jesus, beware, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith. Matthew 17, 20, when the disciples couldn't cast out a certain demon, and they asked him why. He said, because of your little faith. Matthew 21, 21. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith. Everybody say if. Yeah. If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. If what? You have faith. That's it. That's all that's required. Matthew uh, 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Mark 2, 5, and when Jesus saw their faith. Mark 4, 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Mark 5, 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Mark 10, 52, go your way, your faith has made you well. Mark eleven twenty two, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Keep in mind, this is only Matthew and Mark, but we could keep going all morning. And what I want you to grab hold of this morning is, for your own self, is just acknowledge I may not have put enough emphasis on this issue. I, I may have 
I may have put so more emphasis on it being the will of God, or if I get it or if I don't, it has everything to do with God and nothing to do with me. You won't get that from any of the scriptures we just read. Now, because you have perfect faith, does it automatically mean you're going to get everything that you're believing for? No. I, I could start believing today uh, and having just great faith that you know I'm going to be the president of the United States. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. There's a lot of other elements to this because one of the things we find out from Scripture that makes our faith powerful is when our faith is aligned with the will of God, when those two things are aligned. But on the other hand, can something be the will of God and it not happen because there wasn't enough faith? Absolutely. We see this many times when he said, you couldn't do, just with the demon example alone, he said you couldn't cast it out because you didn't have enough faith. Was it the will of God to be cast out? Yes, Jesus did it right after that. But it couldn't be done even though it was the will of God because there wasn't enough faith. There was another, another instance where he went to his home, hometown and he said Jesus could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. So, yeah, there are things that can be the will of God. The Bible says it's the will of God that every, everyone be saved. But that's not happening. Every person is not being saved, even though it is the will of God. So our faith plays a key role. It's not the only role, but it is a, it is a key role. Now, I know that this flies, especially in the face of popular culture, that the, the current culture that we live in wants to blame everything on everyone else. Every problem in my life can be traced back to someone else's fault or someone else's problem. We can blame our parents. We can blame other races. We can blame the government. We can blame on and on and on and on. And this is what our culture currently loves to do is to put the blame on everybody else. What I want to challenge you to do the mor this morning is to flip the script and say, it's going to be a last resort if I blame God for anything. The very first place I'm going to look is here. Why? Because this one, this way, is not perfect, extremely flawed, still has sin. God, on the other hand, is perfect, never made a mistake, never sinned, never did any, anything wrong. So if, if one of us is, if we're going to find who's at fault in the relationship, it's always going to come back here. And that's not a negative thing, as we're going to discover as we, keep, as we keep going. But I just want to challenge you, because I see two types of people. One, something bad happened, first thing they want to do is blame God. And you ask them, well, I'm just mad at God right now. You know how many times I've met people as a pastor that's mad at God? you know how illogical it is to be mad at God? And, and just, you know, just, and, and yet I have sympathy for it because it's a lack of understanding. But, again, we know that God is perfect, but you're mad at God. You're mad at God that's never made a mistake. It would be much better to just say, I'm mad and I don't know why. You ever said that in your family? You know, your wife or your kids ask you, why are you so grumpy? Are you mad at me? No, I'm not mad. Well, who are you mad at? I'm really, I don't know. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just mad. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be frustrated it's okay to be upset because something is happening. I'm just going to say, don't direct it at God because it's not his fault. Now, you might say, I'm aggravated because I don't have the answer. 
I'm aggravated because I'm, I'm frustrated because of the results I'm getting and I can't seem to find the answer. That's okay. But let's turn it around and start here first because that's likely where the problem is going to be. And by the way, that's actually good news. Because if the problem is with you, you can fix it. If the problem is with you, you can adjust it. You actually have power over it now. You have control over it now. That's why I don't like the blame game that our culture is doing right now. Because when you blame something, when you blame someone and someone else, and especially things that have happened in the past, what you're doing, you don't have any control over that. You can't change that. But when I look here, I have control over that. I have power to change what's going on in my life right now. Now, we're going to get into what I, can, what I think is the most important part of the sermon, which is this idea that faith is a muscle. Okay, Faith is like a muscle. And this is why no one should be ashamed of where their faith is at. <clears throat> and this is why Jesus said, in instances, he said, well, you have little faith. And he said to other people, you have great faith. Why? Well, because some people's faith muscle was very small and very undeveloped. And other people had strengthened and grew their faith muscle to a point where they could, they could lift something really heavy. Remember, Jesus said, he said, the fig tree that I cursed, he said, if you got enough faith, you can do that. And actually, he said, if you got enough faith, you can move this mountain. Well, that would require a really strong faith muscle to do that one. And it might not require as much faith to do something smaller. But faith is like a muscle. And sometimes in life, you will face obstacles that are bigger than where your faith muscle is at. And this is nothing to be ashamed about. As a matter of fact, this, <clears throat> this, this shouldn't be anything that's discouraging. It's, it's how most of life works. I mean, if, we, <clears throat> if you've gone to the gym and, and you saw, you know, 300, 400 pounds on the bench press and you look at it and you just, in honesty, you go, I can't lift that. That's not discouraged. That shouldn't be discouraged. That's just a statement of reality. In other words, I can't lift that right now. I understand that if I dedicated my time and my life at, to that, maybe I could get to the point where I could lift that. But I can't lift it right now where I'm currently at. There's something I could lift because right, everybody in here can lift something. You walk in, maybe it's just the bar. You know, you just get under the bar, no weights on it. Everybody can lift something and that's that's just where your muscles are at that's where they're developed but listen faith is a muscle faith is a muscle that grows and develops the bible tells us how it grows there's really two ways that faith grows number one faith grows the bible says through hearing the word of god right now your faith all those scriptures we just read your faith, that faith muscle is being exercised as you hear those scriptures and as you read the Word of God. As you meditate on the Word of God and you feed on the Word of God, your faith grows like a muscle. More specifically, if there's something uh, specific that you're needing to believe God for, let's say that you're believing God for your marriage, or you're believing God for your physical healing, or you're believing God for financial breakthrough. There, there, you could be anything. When you specifically get scriptures on that issue and on that topic and you meditate on those scriptures and you read them every day and you speak them out of your mouth, your faith muscle is growing. 
And by the way, I'm not telling you something that I haven't had to do and, and walk out in my own life. And this is the reason why that people can have really strong faith muscles in one area, but maybe not in another. You know, for example, <clears throat> you may have had to walk through a health challenge where you had to believe God for your health and pray over your health and read scriptures over your health. And so you got to the point where that don't bother you anymore because saw, you saw God come through. God answered prayer. You, you won that fight. And then in another area, you might struggle because you haven't developed your faith in that area. Again, going back to the muscle, it'd be where, you know, if you've seen those guys with the really big chest and arms, but then their legs are like uh, little chicken legs because they, they skip leg day, right? Well, yeah, you're super strong up here, but it didn't translate down here uh, because you've been skipping leg day, all right? But look, I, I'm not criticizing. I, I, I'm not... You know, I'm not some super ripped guy up here, but I'm just saying, as an example, that, that can happen with your faith. You can have areas where you're very developed, but, but in other, another area of faith, you're very weak. Because maybe you've been meditating on the wrong things in that area, or you have an incorrect belief that's sabotaging your faith in that area. You know, like you, you might believe God just fine when it comes to uh, financial breakthrough or, or for your marriage. But when it comes to healing, you struggle because you've, you've bought a lie that's not biblical, which is healing's not for today. Well, you're weak in that area, but you could be strong over here. But what I want you to understand is any area of your faith is like a muscle. It can be grown. It can be developed. Now, what happens a lot of times in our lives is we don't develop an area... Uh, we don't develop a, a muscle of faith in that area until we face a challenge in that area. It's not that we couldn't have done it in advance. There was just no need for it or there was nothing pushing us to do it. So, so many times when we, we encounter a big challenge in our life, we almost find ourselves unprepared if we haven't been developing that faith muscle in that area. And sometimes you can't develop it fast enough. For example, if... If somebody said, well, you've got, you got to be able to lift 400 pounds on the bench press by the end of the week. That's just not enough time for me. You know, I'd need some years to get there. All right, but I could get there. Maybe. I don't know. I'm four, I turned 41 this year. I don't know. But, uh, but you, you understand, you might could get there with enough time. But sometimes you face, face a challenge that you need that faith today and you've, you've been slacking off and you just haven't been developing and you're finding yourself unprepared and you might not have enough faith to get there to where you can make that lift. And so that's why it is important to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit because He will always have you prepared for the challenges that are coming ahead of you. You know, and that's why when, when the Holy Spirit brings a book across your path or a sermon series is preached in your church where, you know, your pastor's been praying and saying, man, I believe God is speaking this to us or a, a podcast comes across and you feel like, man, I really feel like God wants me to listen to this. Yeah, he might be preparing you for a challenge coming up that you don't know anything about. And whether or not you pass that challenge is going to be decided upon what you do right now. If you say... If you slack off and you're late and you ignore it and you're apathetic, you may find yourself facing a challenge where you're completely unprepared because you haven't built that muscle at all in that, in that area. So it is very important that we listen to the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit and that we listen to our conscience. You know, 
many times the Holy Spirit will speak to us through our conscience and say, you don't need to be doing this. You don't need to be listening to that. You don't need to be reading that book. You don't need to be listening to that podcast. You don't need to be watching that show. It's, it's not because God's a prude. He don't want you to have any fun. It's because he knows what's coming up down the road. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this. This is not the sermon. This is definitely a rabbit trail, okay? But it's important. In the time that I've been pastoring, I have seen, I'm going to say, married couples, women, men, where they were going through a marital challenge, but they're watching some, some show, some series on Netflix that is feeding and planting the seeds of divorce in their mind. It's planting and feeding the seeds of adultery in their mind. It's, it's planting and feeding the seeds of, well, my, I wish my husband were like that. I wish my wife were like that. And, and you watch that and you meditate on that and it's, it's planting those seeds. Guess what? You're, you, you don't necessarily think of it as faith, but your faith is growing in that direction. And there's been many times that the Holy Spirit has led people and said, hey, you need to turn that off. You need to quit reading that. You need to quit thinking on that. You need to keep, quit meditating on that type of stuff. Why? Because it's going to affect your marriage down the road. So, faith is a muscle that can be built. Look, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging when you face a challenge in your life that I don't think I've got the faith to, to make this lift. The worst thing you can do is pretend. There's no sense in pretending. It's, it's important to acknowledge, I don't think I've got the faith to, to do this right now. Here's one way you can know if you have enough faith or not. Uh, if you have anxiety stress, worry, fear in that area, you don't have the faith. And you see, that's so, so much of a blanket statement that most people, it, they almost want to reject it as soon as they hear it because they, we've gotten so accustomed to fear, worry, stress, and anxiety that we think, oh, well, it's normal. But look at what James said. In the book of James, he said, uh, if you have the faith, he said, and you ask God for wisdom, you're going to get it. But he said, don't let the double-minded person think they're going to receive anything from God. In other words, the person who oscillates back and forth. And this is what I've found from walking in faith with God. I may start out like that, but that's because the faith muscle is weak in that area. But as you meditate on the Word, and as you read the Word in that area, and as you speak the Word, and as every day that, that challenge comes up, and you choose to speak the Word and say, no, I'm not worrying about that because here's what the Word of God said. What's happening? Your faith muscle is growing, and you will eventually arrive at a place where you have no fear, no worry, no stress, no anxiety in that area. And when you arrive at that place, you have arrived at true and great faith. And you will see results in that area. I've told you this story a hundred times. I'll tell you again, because I think it applies so much. But, you know, when we bought this building, we had a large note on this building that we were believing God to, to pay for. And in the beginning of that, I was stressed and worried about that. And through a series of several years, my faith muscle began to grow in that area till the point where it caused me zero stress and anxiety over that issue. And right about the time I got to that place was the same time that God ended up paying off the whole, the whole building. Now, what was unique about that was, I hope you understand what I'm saying, it was not a relief to me when it got paid off. It was not a relief to me because I had already gotten the victory of it and I wasn't carrying it anymore. You know, in other words, 
Somebody said that to me after. They said, oh man, I know that must be such a relief to not have to worry about that anymore. I said, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't carrying it anymore. It, I was already experiencing that same, that same relief. Now, if you talked to me a year before, I wasn't. But I had gotten to the point where that faith muscle had grown to the point that I wasn't carrying it anymore. If you're going to experience victory in any area of your life that you need God to get involved in, you're going to have to arrive at that place of perfect peace where you are experiencing no stress and no anxiety and no worry in that area. Because if you're experiencing those things, you're not in faith. Now, you can be, you can be in the process of faith, right? You, you can be moving in the right direction where maybe you go, well, I don't worry as much as I used to. Good. You're moving in the right direction. You're moving in the right direction. But stick with God. Stick with growing your faith, and eventually you'll arrive at a place where you have no stress, no anxiety, no worry in that area of your life. And that is the moment that God can do amazing miracles and supernatural things in your life. I want to pause here and say this. Every single thing that happens in our life is not because we had great faith. There are plenty of things that, that happen in my life just because God is good. And maybe it was the will of God, like we talked about. Maybe, maybe I didn't believe God for it at all. There are a lot of things in Scripture we get just from obeying, right? There are certain promises in Scripture that if we do this, this is going to be the result. Tithing is one of those things. Malachi 3 talks about, test me now in this. If you, if you tithe and if you give, see if I'll not pour out the windows of heaven. You don't have to pray, believe God, you know, stand in faith for that. I mean, you still have to have faith that it's going to work. But, but as you do it, God's going to just, he's going to do it. Because he said, if you do this, I'll do this. And, and that's the relationship you have. But there are some things where you have to stand in faith until you get the result. What do you do when your faith muscle is weak and you know my faith isn't where it needs to be? Well, you get yourself on a diet and on a plan to build your faith muscle in that area. Like I said, you get scriptures in that area. Maybe you find a friend that's further along than you are. Somebody that has more faith than you in that area or more spiritual maturity in that area that can come alongside you and help you and pray and, and you grow your faith muscle together. But it can be done and it is important that it be done. I want us to look in Matthew 14, 25. We read a piece of this scripture earlier, uh, and it's about Peter. And I, I want us to really look at and kind of dissect it a little bit this morning. Matthew 14, 25. It says, In the fourth watch of the night, he, that's Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. So immediately fear comes in. We know fear is the opposite of faith. Uh, somebody said it this way, which I, 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 the, the longer I look at this and study it, the more I agree with this statement. They said that fear is not even the opposite of faith. It's that fear actually is faith. It's just faith in the wrong direction. So see, when they were terrified, they, ha they were having faith that something negative was going to happen. It's not even the opposite of fear it, of, of faith. It really actually is faith. Fear is faith just in the wrong direction. It's faith that something negative is going to happen. It's faith that something bad is going to happen. 
the result of faith in the wrong direction is fear, anxiety, stress. The result of faith in the right direction is peace and calmness. So they were terrified and said, Is the ghost? They cried out in fear. So they've completely yielded to fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Now, there's something going on in Peter's heart right now. And, and let's not just look at this as Peter walking on the water. Let's apply this to any area, any, any encounter, any, any interaction we have with God goes pretty similarly. Okay, he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus said, come. Well, when he said come, something happened in Peter's heart. Peter, first of all, he said, wow, it is Jesus. And two, now I have a word from God that says I can do this. So faith rose in his heart where he said, wow, this is Jesus. And he told me to come walk on the water. So that means I can do this. So in faith, he steps out on the water. So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water and started heading to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. What do we know about that? Well, it's the opposite of faith. So he had the word from God. His eyes were on Jesus. Then it says, when he saw the wind and the waves, something else changed in his heart. Some new information came in. You know, it, it might be like you if, if uh, you know, you, had a, you, had, you were believing God for a miracle in your health. And you, you were doing pretty good. You were, you were in peace and all that. And then all of a sudden you get a negative doctor's report. And you get new information. Or you stayed up till 2 a.m. Googling stuff on the internet, you know. And now you got all this fear in you. What's happened? Well, new information has come. And now that faith that you once had is starting to be replaced with fear. That's what happened with Peter. And what happened? Well, he started to sink. So Peter got out of the boat, walked in the water, came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, if I'm Peter, I'm a little bit aggravated right now because I'm just going, other than Jesus, other than the Son of God, I'm the only person that has ever walked on water before. And yet I'm getting rebuked right now, saying, oh, you of little faith. Don't I at least get half credit? I mean, come on, I at least stepped out of the boat. All of them cowards stayed back behind. And at least I made it halfway on my first attempt, by the way. You know, but Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And what's implied there is you could have done this. You could have done this. Why did you allow doubt to come in? And, and I hope you can see how clear this is that... He's trying to make the point, and people get crazy, and they put all kind of weird doctrines in here, but, but just look clearly at what he said. He's making it clear, you walked on the water because you had faith, and you started to sink because you started to doubt. That Plain and simple. Why did he doubt? Because he got his eyes off of the Word of God. He got his eyes on the, the circumstances or new information that, that came in. It's, it's very plain and simple. When he had faith, he walked. When he started to doubt, he started to sink. So, yeah, we can do amazing things. The Bible says impossible things when we have 
faith. But faith is a muscle that has to be exercised, that has to be developed. When you find yourself uh, in worry, stress, anxiety, when you find your faith muscle underdeveloped, don't get discouraged by it. Just go, man, this is, a, this is an area I've got to grow in and develop in. You know, I, as I read this, I think about, you know, that it's almost like Peter's faith was developed enough to get started, but not enough to finish. And sometimes we see this in people's lives where they, they start out in faith, they start out strong, but then a new situation arises or something that challenges their faith, and it, and it wasn't actually developed enough to overcome that, that challenge but it can be. Now, like I said, there, there are areas in my life that I've walked this out. And I, and I could probably sit here and list you the areas in my life that my faith muscle is very developed and other areas of my life that I know are weaker than, than, than other areas and that if I faced a big challenge in that area, I would have some work to do because it's not as developed as these other, other areas. And again, if you think of it like your physical body, some people are very, they could, they could run a marathon. And so they have that level of endurance, but they couldn't lift a big, a big lift. And so spiritually, it's the same concept. I want to read you, as we close this morning, uh, an example from a guy named George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s. Uh, he, over 70 years he ministered to thousands of orphans that, that God had led him. And, and he started out with nothing. And, and all he had was just the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he's got an autobiography where he kind of tells the story. And I just want to read you some of the things that he said. Because he did what he did completely by faith. And that's what he gives the credit to. Uh, when he began the work, he said that he had two shillings, which was 50 about 50 cents. 20 years later, he had 13 acres, five large granite buildings, and 2,000 orphans on the property. And, and I'm just going to read you some of his quotes. He said, The orphans from the first until now have numbered 9,500, but have never lacked a meal. Hundreds of times we have commenced the day without a penny, but our Heavenly Father has sent supplies the moment they were required. There never was a time when we had no wholesome meal. $7.5 million, remember this is in the 1800s, $7.5 million has been sent to me in answer to prayer. No man can ever say I asked him for a penny. All has come in answer to believing prayer. When you read his autobiography, you learn the training regimen that God put him through to develop his faith muscle in this area. I, as, you read, as you read his biography, he, understand, he understood perfectly what we were talking about this morning, all the way from the 1800s. You read his autobiography, he explains, when I first started, he said, I didn't have enough, I didn't have enough money to buy a plane ticket. There were times where somebody tried to give him money. And the Lord said, no, I want you to walk by faith on this, on this issue. I want you to believe me for it. There were times where he showed up at the train station with no ticket, standing in line. And somebody would turn around and hand him a, a ticket to get on the train. 
because God was training him. And so you, you just watch as you read the book how his faith muscle grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And he, he actually explains that shortly here. He says, one morning the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder, no money to buy food. The children were standing waiting for their morning meal. I lifted up my hands in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat this morning. There was a knock on the door. The local baker stood there. He said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it to you. No sooner had this transpired, there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, but he would like to give the children his fresh cans of milk so he could empty the wagon and take it for repair. But notice, um, is that how, just ask yourself, is that how you would have handled that? I mean, just not where you want to be, just where you're at. Because I can tell you what most people would have been doing. When they didn't have food, they'd have been making phone calls. Hey, can you help me out? Can you? They'd have been going. He just sat there peacefully at the table because God had never failed. He was in perfect peace. But he didn't start out there. He didn't start out there. He grew to that place. Now listen in his own words how he explains this. He said, some say I shall never have the gift of faith Mr. Mueller has got. But this is a mistake. It is the greatest of error. There is not a particle of truth to it. My faith is the same kind of faith that all of God's children have. It is the same faith that Simon Peter had, and all Christians may obtain the like faith. My faith is their faith, though there may be more of it, because mine may be a little more developed by exercise than theirs. At first, I was able to trust the Lord for $10. Then... 100, then for a thousand, and now with the greatest of ease, I could trust him for one million dollars if there is the occasion. But first, I should quickly, carefully, and deliberately examine and see whether what I was trusting for was something in accordance with the promises of God's word, and if I found that it was, the amount of difficulties would be of no hindrance to my trust. Fifty-one years, and my God has never failed me. Trust him for yourself and found, find out how true his word is. Amen. So, you look at the lives of, of these men that have walked these great walks of faith, and, and you'll find the same thing over and over and over again. God had to train them from, from early time how to trust him with small and simple things. I remember, I remember listening to uh, one missionary, modern-day missionary, st- still alive, still doing the work of the Lord today, friend of ours, talk about this. And, and he explained how God had him begin by believing him for a pair of socks. <laughs> and you might think, what is the purpose of that? Well, it has nothing to do with the socks. It has nothing to do with the socks. But if you can believe God for socks, then you can believe God for other things. And it's just a training process. Now, you may not be called to do what George Mueller did. You may not be, you know, any of that. But I can tell you, there are battles and fights of faith that every person in this room is facing. And that if we don't grow our faith in those areas, you may not get the result that you want. And I, and I want to challenge you. Don't just pass it off to, oh, well, just whatever the Lord wants to do. Well, what the Lord may want to do is grow your faith in that area 
so that you can believe God and experience victory in it. Listen, faith is one of the greatest tools that we have. It's the whole reason why prayer works. If, if faith isn't important, then prayer isn't important. Because the whole way that prayer works is by faith. Prayer is accomplished and prayer works because of the faith that is behind those prayers. If there's no faith behind it, then the prayer is not effective. We could keep talking on this for days, but what I want to encourage you with, I know that some of you are, are facing situations, and I, and I want to challenge you. Use your faith. Use your faith. Let God grow you in that area until you get to the point where you can experience victory in that area. Amen? Amen. Let's stand on our feet this morning.